Turn to John chapter 2. John chapter 2. He was a 100-meter sprinter by training and talent. He became known as the Flying Scotsman. We know him best probably through his movie called Chariots of Fire because it was in the 1924 uh, Paris Olympics, where Liddell found out that his 100-meter race was going to be run on Sunday. Being a devout Christ follower, he refused to run on Sunday as a matter of principle, believing it would uh, violate his conviction that the Sabbath was set aside for God. And he said, I won't do it for my king, I won't do it for my country, and I won't do it for my own personal glory. Took a lot of heat for that, especially from his country. A lot of them even called him a traitor. But part of the greatness of the story is that when he made his stand, he later was given the opportunity to represent his country in another race, and it was the 400-meter run. An opening came up, and he had never run it in competitive track before. But he ends up running it in the same Olympics, and he wins and he gains a, a gold medal and set the world record in the process. After his great rise to fame, what did he do? Well, in 1925... Uh, he received his degree in divinity and science, and then he ended up traveling to China to be a missionary, where he continued for the next 18 years, often working with the Red Cross to gain greater access to more remote regions. It's a credible story. Uh, but, but there's a little bit more to it, and I'm going to come back to that in just a little bit. He was a man who served and went out for glory for the sake of God. One of the values of Creekside Church that has grown over the years has taken deeper root is that we would have the understanding of a heart for serving because it really is the nature of Jesus Christ himself. And it will always be seen in a church that is following Jesus, not just in the corporate, but also in the individual. See, I am committed to the belief that one of the purposes that we have been placed for, placed here for on this earth is to serve others because of what God has given and blessed and done in us and through us. Now, the Bible calls this ministry. Now, I know some of you, I have people call me father. I have people that call me uh, pastor. I have people that call me minister. I got people that call me reverend. And I got people that call me other things. And... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but I want to tell you that m- truly my title is pastor. There's nothing reverend about me. And I'm a minister just like you. Because see, minister comes from this Greek word, which doesn't really matter, but it's diakonos. And it's the idea of simply when you're a minister, you're a servant. I am a servant with you. You are a servant, a minister with me. I happen to be a pastor, and a pastor is one who teaches and leads the flock of God. That's the distinction. So I want you just to tell the person next to you, hey, I'm a minister. Tell them, I'm a minister. Because that's important. 
Because that way you don't sit on the sidelines. Listen to what 1 Peter 4.10 says. Based on the gift that they have received, who's they? You. Everyone, who's everyone? Say me. Me. Should use it to serve others as good managers, as stewards of the varied grace of God. Some of you have incredible gifts, but they're not necessarily being stewarded and employed for God's higher purposes. And, and what, what, what Peter is saying here is, listen, every person has been graced. What, what does grace mean? It's the unmerited favor of God. You've been given something. You didn't deserve it. You didn't earn it, but God gave it to you. I could list 50 things in my life that I don't deserve. I, I haven't earned, but I go, God, you've still given it to me. And, and I believe that everybody in this room is the same way. That if you really did a, a personal accounting, you would go, wow, that's really true. Am I stewarding what God's given me? Because the Ephesians 2.10 says this. Paul talks about how, how we've been bought with a price and we've been saved by grace. And then he goes on to say, and because of that, we are God's creation created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time so that we could walk in them. Before you were a glimmer in mom and daddy's eye, before you were a spark in their romance, guess what? God set you aside and he said, I've got some works. I'm, I'm going to prepare these things so that when Jim gets older and he follows me, this is what he's going to do. And now my question is, do you feel like you're walking in some of those works? Are you experiencing those things that God has prepared you for? Or are you just kind of schlocking around? Because see that word there where it says, you, have, you are a creation, created of God. It's, a, it's, a, it's really a precious word. It's the word poema. It's the word that we get our word poem from. Now, I don't know if there's any poets or poetry people in here, but if you put together a poem or a song, you're going to go, whoa, look at that piece of work I did. And you're going to want to share it with everybody. And that's what God is with you. He looks at everyone in this room. Even if you don't believe in God, he still sees you as his poem, his work of art. And at the point that you engage with his life, he would say, I have some things for you to do, good things, powerful things, wonderful things that will not only bless others, but they'll bless you and they'll build your life. And I want you to go and I want you to be my artwork in the world that you live in. See, loved ones, our lives were created to be given away. I know this is, this might be foreign soil for some of us, but do you understand that there's really, I mean, people are pretty basic. I mean, we're all unique in a lot of ways, but basically there's givers and there's takers. There's people that give and, and they give and they give, and there's other people that just kind of take and they get, and they really don't have this orientation toward giving. They're spenders. They spend, 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 spend. And then there's savers. 
Now, in the kingdom, God wants us to be givers. God wants us to be spenders. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church of Corinth. This was a church that he had to correct. This was a church that he was working with, and they took advantage of him. He had to correct them and counsel and comfort them, and he did so much for them, taught them, encouraged them, but they still rejected him. And this is what he wrote to him in 2 Corinthians 12, 15. He says, I will most gladly, happily, joyfully spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. He says, you know, there's an amazing thing taking place. The more I do for you, the less you do for me. The more I show you I care, the less care I get back. But that's all right. Because I will gladly spend and be spent for you. I will give my life for you. That's a hard way to live, loved ones. But Paul says, this is what we do as Christ followers. You may give and get less in return, but we still get to give because it's the heart of Jesus. And it's the way, listen, it's the way you really ultimately get shaped into the image of Christ. Because you know what? Other than our lives, what did Jesus get? Rejection, pain, suffering, the cross. I know. Who wants to sign up for that? But that's part of it. Because, see, Jesus said this. It's the mark of Jesus' life. What was his mission? Luke 19.10, I come to seek and to save the lost, number one. And number two, Mark 10.45, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. That's why we see in John chapter 13, all of a sudden he dons this towel and these dirty, stinking disciples that were not paying attention to anything and they lost track of the mission and what Jesus was doing. He gets down, starts going around and washing their feet. He says, I come to serve. See, when we come to Jesus, you and I, listen, loved ones, you and I are called to serve in his name. You can't read the scriptures of the New Testament and not see people doing and acting and behaving because they believe in the name of Jesus. When we come to Christ, it's really like entering an arena. I don't know, you're probably watching, some of you are watching March Madness. Man, big arena's full. And you walk into this arena, and there's people all around. And what is it? You've got two options. You either go down on the floor and participate or you go sit up in the stands and you spectate. Isn't it amazing that our culture is so spectator-oriented? Let's watch all of these people work out and get in shape. And we can't even walk for 30 minutes to get in shape. Lest I digress, I will move on. Um, but, but, But the same thing happens in the church. We like to come and to consume and preacher, give me something, and church, do for me. And we forget that our ultimate call is to come and be engaged in the greatest mission on earth, which is to serve others. And it's when we do that, that's when we become most like Jesus. And this is what happens when you become like Jesus. You live in his presence. Psalm Psalm 16 verse 11 says this, that in his presence is fullness of joy. I would say that some of us, maybe we're disappointed in the church or maybe we're disappointed or depressed about life and everything. For some of us, I'd say it's because, well, you're not in the presence of God. 
and you're not experiencing his joy because you're not doing what he calls you to do. You're spectating. You're not really participating in the greatest thing, the most eternal thing on this earth, which is people and God's church. See, the stands are safe, aren't they? We can sit, we don't have to work, we don't have to sweat, but there's little risk and very little reward. I was playing golf yesterday, very badly, I might say, and I was uh, in the first fairway. Mark Stites and I were on this playing together, and we, we both had my one of the day, a good drive, and, and I said, Mark, are you going to go for the green in, in two? And he said something like, well, of course. Why wouldn't I? I can, you know. And I said, yeah, me too. You know, God didn't put me on this earth to not take a couple of risks because there's a reward. But with every reward, it can also get kind of, well, troublesome, huh? I'll just tell you up front, just like Jesus. You know what? He got rejected. He experienced great pain. People closest to him left. But he said, the cause is greater. The mission is more important. And I just want to tell you, let me just get this out up front, because I'm challenging you to, to serve. If you decide to serve in a church, and at Creekside, which I believe everybody should, there's two places you serve. You serve in your church, in a ministry. What's ministry mean? Serve. And then we serve in mission out there. To, to, to do something to help our community, to help people around us. That there's no intrinsic value or reward within the church other than we love them in Jesus' name. But the reason we do it here is why? Well, because we want to reach those people out there. If we don't have a great children's program where people love, and when they see these kids come in and they got big smiles and they welcome them and they love them, they won't stay. If we don't have people that love babies and love to wipe little dirty butts, then, and, 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 a, and I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that, but if, if, a, if, if a mother comes in and she doesn't see that we take good care of her baby, she'll never drop that baby off, and sooner or later they won't come back. If we don't have people that greet at the door and, you know, and kind of go, wow, hi, welcome to Creekside, so glad you're here. What a beautiful day, huh? They'll go, wow, this is really unfriendly. I'm not coming back. I mean, not only do they do tables, but the people are really mean, you know? So you, you, you got to, the ministry in here is important. And that's why we challenge people to be involved, to get engaged. But see, the church is kind of like out there. Not Greekside, we're perfect almost. Um, but but it, I, I used to coach, I used to coach high school basketball and um it's always funny how parents, they just scream from the stands. If you're a parent, don't do this. But, coach, put my kid in. That other one sucks. You, coach, you're stupid. And then they get done with me, and then they, hey, ref. You know, they get on the refs, and then they get on the players. It's so easy in the stands to be negative and critical and everything. Get in the game. Don't stand back. Get in the game. Make a difference. That's where the action is. That's where the risk is. That's where the problems are. It gets messy. Ministry is messy. But it's also the greatest reward because ultimately you know you're doing what Jesus did. Now let me just take you quickly to a story about Jesus. And 
how he deals with servants and why this this whole thing is so important. John chapter 2, we're going to be in verse 1. John chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, Now on the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Now, a wedding in that day was really cool for the most part. It was like a week-long celebration. It was like a vacation where families and friends, they'd get together, they'd have a processional, they'd do the ceremony, they'd have a processional throughout the city, and they'd run around, and they'd dance, they'd eat, they'd drink, they'd have fun. And then, like, toward the end, and this is where it gets kind of creepy, but they would, they would go and they'd sit outside the, the, um, the, the newlyweds tent or home, and they'd consummate their marriage, and they, the guy would come out and I, you know, it's, it, that's a little different, but that's what it did. <laughs> I mean, it, it was a family affair. You know, it's kind of, it was a weird honeymoon, but um, they did it. So this is a big deal, celebration. Now, Jesus and his disciples, they're invited to the wedding as well. A good thing to do, always invite Jesus. Now, what happened is, is the, it says the wine ran out. And Jesus' mother said to him, they don't have any wine. Now, now, hear me. This is really important. You, you, know, you just kind of read by that. But historically, did you know that in one of these big week-long celebrations, that if, if a family, if they ran out of wine or food, this would have been like the ultimate social faux pas. This would have been something they would have talked about, you know, in 55, 30 years later, they would have said, wow, remember back in 29 AD when they ran out of the wine? Woo! Don't party with those folks. It would have been a big deal. It would have, it would have, they would have remembered it. And so these guys are out of wine. And so mother does, I mean, Mary does the motherly thing, and she's got, she kind of knows who Jesus is here. So she goes up to him in verse 4. They don't have any wine. What do you think, Jesus? And Jesus goes, verse 4, well, what is this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Now, the woman there is an endearing term. It's not, it's very respectful. It's not like, hey, woman, get going, get on my way. But, but, but it's, it's, a very, it's a very endearing, respectful term. And Jesus says to her, my hour, it hasn't yet come. It's not my time. So now she does what most mothers do. Okay, no problem. And so she goes over. She goes, thanks, Jesus. Hey, you guys, uh, I, I, do whatever he says to do. And you know Jesus is here. He can hear it. Is there a little manipulation, coercion? I don't know. But he, she says, do whatever he tells you, his mother told the servants. Now, because this is a week long, we don't know how much time is going in between. Verse 6 says, now six stone water jars had been set there. What for Jewish purification? So when people come in, they'd, they'd have to clean their hands and their feet and be purified for this whole process and celebration. Now there's 20 to 30 gallons in these six stone jars. These are big, okay? That's a lot. That's a lot of water. And notice what happens. All of a sudden, we don't know when in the story, in the narrative it happens, but Jesus goes, hey, guys, fill the jars with water. So they filled them and did as quickly as possible so that they could just kind of get on with their jobs. No. What did he say? Filled them to the brim. Filled them to the top. They didn't 
You know, they didn't cut corners. They didn't try and get by with as less as possible. They did the most. Then he said, after they did that, now, draw some out and take it to the chief servant. This would have been the guy overseeing the party. And they did. Now, when the chief servant tasted the water, after it had become wine, he didn't know where it came from. Aha, underline this in your Bibles. Though the servants who had drawn the water knew. So he called the groom and he said to him, wow, everybody sets out the fine wine first, but when after people have drunk and eaten freely, then they kind of give the lesser quality the inferior, but you kept the fine wine until now. So here Jesus performed his first sign in Cana of Galilee and he displayed his glory and his disciples believed in him. He goes, wow. And you saved the Vianos for last. This is good. The best. I, I just, you know, that's Jesus, isn't it? Those things where we could run out, where we could lose the effervescence of what's taking place. Wine in the, in the Bible always pictured joy. And Jesus says, I'm, I'm going to make sure that you're never embarrassed. I'm going to make sure that you always are taken care of. And he comes and he does this powerful miracle. But I want you to see what happens with the servants. Three things. Number one, you see obedience. Mary says, you do whatever he tells you to do. The servants, you know what? When Jesus says, this is what we're going to do, guys, they didn't argue. They didn't question. They didn't give him excuses. They simply said, okay, here we go. And I just want to tell you, loved ones, there's no shortcuts to serving in ministry. It's usually work. But a true servant of Jesus Christ simply does what they're asked. It's not always easy, but I will guarantee you in time, it will always be rewarding. It's so easy for us to move into our excuses, isn't it? I can't do it. I'm not good enough. I don't know how. I don't have enough time. And I understand that, you know, some of us are, we're in this place of, well, we've got kids, we've got, you know, jobs and everything. And I understand that. But there's times where we can still do just a little something to begin to orient us so that we're at least a little bit engaged. It doesn't have to be big, but just to keep our heart engaged so we're not simply consuming, but we're growing in serving. I want to say this again with great pastoral love. You really can't serve Jesus fully and expect to grow completely in his life if you're not obeying what he asks you to do. At some point, there will be a short circuit. Obedience is important. And, and, and I know some of you are going you're gonna to go, whoa, I don't like what you say. But John 14 makes it really clear. Jesus said, if, 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 if you love me, you will obey me. I'll just give you two quickies. 
I can tell, you know, you know how I can kind of tell a lot of times where people are with God? And you can disagree with me, you're fine, but I've been doing this for 30 years, okay? You show me a person's calendar and you show me their checkbook and I'll tell you what their priorities are with God. I'm more convinced of that today than I ever have been. I want you to notice the second thing. Not only were they obedient, but they were exuberant. Imagine the work that these servants had to do. They'd already run out of of wine once, and now they're asked to go fill these 20-gallon vessels. They had to draw the water. They had to carry the water. They had to pour the water, and they had to keep going back and do this, but they really didn't care. They didn't cut the corner. They didn't go two-thirds and move on. It says they filled every one of them to the brim. There was nothing half-hearted about these guys. Gung-ho, let's go. And that's what we want to make sure that we're always developing around here, loved ones. That's why I talk about this. This church, hear me, this church is a great church that serves. But the reason I talk about it is because we have a generation of people coming in that haven't embraced the value of what we do here. And I don't want to lose a generation of just kind of ho-hum, kick back, because I want to make sure that we have a culture of joyful servants, that as we serve our community and our church, we experience maximum effectiveness with minimum weariness because we're working together. We don't get rewarded for what we do. Our reward is eternal. But you know what I've learned? since I've been doing this gig for 30 years, God is still so gracious. When, I, I really believe this. And when you do things with humility so that you do it to reach people, to touch people, to love people, to lead them to God, and you don't do it for whatever reward or self-acclaim, it's amazing how God does that for you, isn't it? He blesses. He says this, if we humble ourselves, what is he gonna do? He will exalt us. And, and, and I'm amazed at how often he does that. Listen, you know, I, I just get to go along for the ride here. I mean, I've, I've done the stuff. I've had the vision for it. But we have an incredible church that serves. Our, our, our Easter, I mean, excuse me, our uh, uh, crab feed, $22,000 this year we're going to be giving away. I had the privilege of taking some people. I wish I could have taken you all, but it was 55 bucks a plate. I couldn't afford it. And... Um, but we got to go to this honored Martinez Unified School District this past year said, Creekside Church, you're going to be our community partner of the year, and we're going to award you. We went to this, this big gathering at the uh, Marriott in Walnut Creek, and they gave us this little uh, certificate signed by some uh, legislators, and then this little plaque over here. And then you'll see the picture. They just said they talked for about, I don't know, two or three minutes where they were just talking about what Creekside had done for the community. Now hear me. I show you this because we celebrate this. This, is, this was really wonderful. That's not why we do it. I didn't even know they did this kind of stuff. But God's good. 
And this is, as a church, if we never got this stuff, we'd still do what we do. Deuteronomy 28, 47 and 48 says this, because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart, therefore you're going to, become, you're going to serve your enemies. See, because, our, because of the heart, the culture of our church loved ones is we serve people out of joy, we're not anybody's debtor or enemy. That's why we can have a church like Morello come to us and say, hey, would you partner with us? And we can sure, you bet, let us help you. Not because we're so good, but we just want to partner with them. See, God wants us to serve him with all of our heart. Remember this, a mind can reach a mind, but only a heart can reach a heart. And we want to reach our community's heart. Therefore, we will serve and do what we do with all of our hearts. Of course, our mind is going to be involved. We have strategies and we have plans and we're going to be involved. Otherwise, it'd be chaos. But we're going to ask people all the time, throw your heart across the line and live heart first. I was sitting in the aftermath meeting the other day and I just saw the guy that said it. And he just said, you know, I come back. I've been gone from this church for a while. I came back and I heard what they were doing with aftermath. And I said, I want to be a part of that. I want to serve out there. And then we needed some, a, position, a couple of positions filled. And he said, I'm going to do that. <laughs> That's serving heart first. Let's just throw it out there. Let's do it. Well, don't you want to know the job description? I don't care. Just, I'm going to do it. I'll tell you why our struggle, our, our, I believe our culture struggles so much, and this is from Psychology Today a few years ago. Uh, in the periodical Psychology Today, they called it the Boomer Blues. Uh, most, a lot of us here are that Boomer generation, and uh, we're moving into those years. The focus of the article was on how adults today between that baby Boomer generation have increased bouts of depression. It didn't mean to be simplistic, but, but they were basically saying that physiologically there's some things that come out in the study that they said um, a lot of times men don't carry their weight at home and help out the wife, and then she's got to do it all, and then the man's so consumed and the family's so consumed with their kids and making sure those little gods, small g, get everything they want, everything taken care of, and the family functions around them and all of their activities... And then they're so busy with everything else, it's all about themselves. The article goes on to says, basically, the boomers are the me generation. They discovered that when a human helps, in their study, that when a human helps another, extends an act of kindness, gives something unsolicited, blesses and helps somebody, that there are endorphins that literally go off in our brain that make us feel good. And you all know that. You've helped somebody, and you go, whew felt good. That's a little blast of an endorphin. But he said, unfortunately, the baby boomer generation probably doesn't get much of that. And they said that their grandparents and their great-grandparents probably would have never experienced at the levels that we experience as boomers that same thing. Because back in their day, what did they do? Hey, let's make jam together and split it up. Hey, let me pick these grapes for you and give them to you. Hey, let's help, I'll help you raise that barn up and build it. 
See, we're so consumed now with our own little stuff. We don't do that. And so now we're dealing with greater bouts of depression. We were called to serve, loved ones. It's in our DNA as we follow Jesus. It has to be our culture. And God says, I want you to live heart first. We say it this way here. I'm not going to hand you a bulletin next Sunday. I'm going to hand you my heart. These people up here, when they sing and they play, they're not just just playing the guitar. They're playing their heart. When they're singing, they're not just singing words. They're singing their heart. And that's what we want to remind people. When we greet people, it isn't just, oh, yeah, let's say hi. No, we want to, our DNA has got to be we give them our heart because ultimately our heart is Jesus. That's all we have to offer, loved ones, but we give it our best. And the last thing is this, patience. The ministry takes patience. Imagine these servants, they're just, you know, they've been working all this time. They're working this wedding. And we're talking a day, we're talking days. And what you're going to see here is ministry happens in the mundane. You know, you, and people think, oh, pastor, boy, you, everyone tells you all this good stuff, huh? No, I don't. I don't get much of it. I wish I got more. That's what's been so fun about the last three months. People writing me, new people, and some of you older ones, they just, pastor, this is what God's doing. I go, oh, that's so encouraging. But ministry is, is, is so mundane. It's not about the big, it's not even about Sunday morning most of the time. It's about what God's doing uh, Monday through Saturday. And that's when you know God's at work. See, Jesus didn't get these guys together and say, okay, huddle up, guys. Here we go. Listen, this is the plan. I want you to begin to draw water. We're going to pour in the pots. Then you're going to the chief service. And all of a sudden, you're going to serve it. And all of a sudden, this miracle is going to take place. It's going to be cool. You're going to pour. It's going to go from white to this nice uh, uh, Merlot. And it's going to be good. And then you're going to serve it to this guy. And he's going to say, great job. And then you're going to, yeah, John, this is what you're going to do. Get your book out. Start recording this. Because you're going to write a book and tell about it. And then you're going to go on the circuit and you're going to preach and you're going to tell everybody about the miracle. No, he doesn't do that. He just, he just goes one step at a time. This is what I want you to do. I want you to get the pots. Okay, good. Okay, I want you to fill them with water. Okay, good. Then I want you to pour them. Okay, good. And then I want you to take it to the chief servant. Okay, good. See, are you like me? Don't you get, you got to have a plan. Not, not step one, step one through five. Then I'll do it. Some of you are sitting there going, yeah, well, preacher, listen, you just give me five things. Tell me how to do it. I'll do it. Well, no, just step. Let's, let's do step one. See, I, I learned this a number of years ago when I was going to look for this church I wanted to go and visit. And I'm going, and I, you know how guys are. We, this is before GPS. And um, I, I go, and I said, I know where it's at, kind of. So I get close. I'm in the city, <laughs> Gresham, and uh, I, I, I go up this gas. Hey, can you tell me where East Hill Four Square Church is? Oh, yeah, it's up there. You go, you go down about a quarter of a mile, take a right, and you take a right, and then you're going to come up to this big, 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 
big tree. Take a left to go another half a mile, and then you're going to see this billboard with this really good-looking, I mean, really good-looking blonde. She's selling milk, and you want to take a right right there. You can't miss her. She's She's foxy, so just take a right. And then you're going to go another quarter of a mile. And, you know, and I'm good for about take a left, go right, big tree, stop again. And, uh, and that's what I did. Except I stopped at this gas station, and, uh, and I go, hey, listen, I need to find it. Where's, can you tell me how to get to East Hill Four Square Church. It was one of the biggest things in Gresham at the time. And there's a guy behind me who goes, hey, I'm going there. Just follow me. I go, oh, that's easy. I don't got to do right, go left, and remember this gal and see that big tree. I'm there. So I just followed him. Can I tell you what I'm, the best way to live, loved ones, is this, is where you follow Jesus one step at a time. You just trust him because you're going to say, well, I'm too big. I can't, I'm just not that. I, I couldn't do that. No. If Jesus says do it, you can do it. You can do it. We can find something to help you get engaged. Can I just tell you something? There are no menial tasks at Creekside. I don't care if it's scrubbing toilets. I don't care if it's doing worship. There are no menial tasks. And every one of you, because God said, I have graced you, every one of you is a ten somewhere. It might not be a 10 singing. And it might not be a 10 um, shaking hands. But you're a 10 somewhere. And God says, I want you to find it. I want you to do it. We, we really try and keep everything around here, loved ones, unilateral. You don't go up to this ministry and down to this one. It's all the same. Listen to what Mother Teresa, she, you know Mother Teresa, she, she, she served the poorest of the poor, the dying of the dying, the, the sick of the sick, the impoverished of the impoverished. But she was so gracious and such a powerful woman. One time she saw this Asian dance and drama and singing group perform. And this is the letter that she wrote to them. See, this is the heart of ministry. Listen to what she says. This is it from her biography, The Love of Christ. She writes, We give joy to the people by serving them, and you give it by your performance. Your work and ours complement each other. What you do by singing and dancing, we do by scrubbing and cleansing. What you do by dancing and drama, we do by sweeping and helping. It is beautiful to give joy to people. Oh, the joy of serving. And I'm sure that thanks to you that many people were comforted. And this talent that you have received, only riches can deprive you of it if you lose focus of why you're doing it. As long as you are willing to be empty of yourself and filled with God, you will keep this talent sharp. The day we begin to lose that focus, we lose something great, and we begin to die. That's why churches die. They lose their focus. We lose something great and we begin to die. Remain as empty as possible so God can constantly fill you. For even God cannot fill anything that is already full of itself. 
And remember, people are not so much interested in seeing us as they are in seeing what God wants to give them through us. People wonder why they don't grow in the things of God. People wonder why they get tired of church. Can I tell you why I think a lot of it is? A lot of us become sponges. Teach me, get deeper, entertain me. And we're like sponges. Have you ever seen a sponge? You pour water on it, and what happens? It gets full. It soaks and it absorbs a lot of water. And then what happens? Listen, you can put it in the Pacific Ocean. You can put it under a running stream, and guess what? It gets to the point where what? It can't take in any more unless what? It gets wrung out. I believe one of the greatest hindrances to Christians in our culture in these United States today is everybody wants more teaching, deeper teaching, more books, more sermons, more blah, 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 blah. And they're unwilling to roll their sleeves up and serve. Some people just need to get wrung out. Why? So you can get filled back up. Our God, this is what I know. He loves to bring joy where there's nothing left to party about. You know what? Listen, servants ultimately have a courtside seat to the miracles of Jesus. That's the story. They did, and they saw, and they experienced. It's Jesus' presence that brings continual joy because he not only loves to party with the dirt, his creation that was made from the dirt of the earth, but he loves to party in the dirt with them. And part of that is getting dirty through serving. He blesses those who can't bless themselves, but you know how he does it? He always does it through you, 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 and me. Touches the schools. I did, uh, first service, I did this and. It wasn't planned, and, and, and I apologize later. That's always fun, you know. You can uh, get permission or uh, get permission first, or forgiveness later. And I got the forgiveness later. But Adam over here, uh, Michelle's not here today, is she? Oh, she's in with the kids. Oh, serving. Yeah, what a sweetie. But this is, I mean, and, Chris, and, and uh, Adam's just a wonderful Christian brother. And uh, the last few months, he started doing uh, the worship. And he's, how long have you guys been here? A couple of years now? A few years? A couple of years? Yeah. And his little wife comes up to me. She's probably done this three times in the last six months. And she just comes up and she's got these big brown eyes and little tears. Pastor, I just love what's going on in my husband's life. I go, well, Michelle, he's a great guy. What's going on? Look at him up there just serving Jesus. And this is what she said. And, and, and since he's been doing that, it's made a difference in how he's serving in our home. You know why? Because when you serve, you grow. And you change. Because you're being Jesus. Amen? Amen. Forgiveness?
Okay. Stand with me, would you please? As we close today, some of you, maybe you've never received Jesus into your life, and I just want to tell you, I'm not gonna, there's not going to be any soft music. It's just this, Jesus. Nothing more, nothing less. The miracle just happened in the midst of the mundane. He can do the same thing for you. You just got to say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And open up your heart, receive him in. And then just to say on this day, just put a note in the basket and say, I received Jesus on your connection slip. Or some of you might need to recommit to Jesus and say, man, I've been missing the joy. Recommit, come back. And some of you are mad at me right now because you're being challenged and you're given all the reasons. But some of you, it may be time for you. There's a few of you that just, I know you can't. And you know you can't, and you can go, I feel good about that. But some of you are arguing with God, not me, but God, because he's saying, I'm I'm crowding you, honey, or I'm crowding you, sir. And maybe it's time to step up and serve in an area. Small, a little bit. But you'll experience joy. And there's information on your table, or you can contact Pastor Blake or myself or any of the staff about serving that's where it starts. Amen? Okay. Give me a big smile. And now let me pray over you. Father, I thank you, Lord, for these people. Uh, Lord, I, I wish I could say serving was always fun. It's not. I wish I could say serving was always easy. It isn't. I wish I could say people were always easy to work with. They're not. But this is what I know. I wouldn't give my life to anything else because ultimately this is eternal. Your church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And this church, Creekside, in this outpost called Martinez, California, the East Bay County of California, we are helping make a difference. And my prayer is that the generation that is serving now will never be lost because we lose a generation coming up. I'm not just talking about age, but I'm just talking about as people come in. So Lord, challenge and speak to us as only you can do. I love these people, (laughs) but I know you love them a whole lot more. Make their joy complete, I pray in your name. Everybody said, amen. You're sure loved. God bless you. I'm going back to the start.